A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Yesterday, Nick Saban put his name on another very short list. Chuck Oliver Show on a Thursday, and it's Thursday, January 11th, and Nick Saban is not part of college football. That has happened at various times since Nick Saban first became a part of college football. He went to Kent State as a player, and he was a quarterback in high school. Won a state championship in West Virginia, and then he goes to Kent State. At the time, it was Kent State. And Nick Saban became part of college football. Now, freshmen weren't eligible, but then he played in 70, 71, and 72. So Nick Saban began as part of college football in 1969. And now all these years later, including time in the NFL, time which I believe is the I believe the only instance Nick Saban ever got fired. Y'all aware Nick Saban got fired? Yeah, he got fired at Ohio State. Um, I believe it would have been Earl Bruce that would have fired him. And he was a secondary coach, and he had an opinion. And his opinion may have been right, but Nick Saban later said, I was wrong to keep saying it. So he got whacked. And then he coached at Navy. It's like, all right, I got to get serious about this again. So there was some time in the league. And then another stint in the league. And then he came to college and he pretty much stayed. It seemed like a little bit of a return. Because in 2005, when he went down to the Miami Dolphins, it seemed like he had not established even his time at LSU that he was strictly a college guy. It seemed like a little bit of a return to pro. He and Belichick had been boys, and he'd cut his teeth with the Oilers coaching secondary. And so he was kind of an NFL guy, or he had it on his resume. Been in the NFL for like eight years, nine years. So he comes to Alabama, and he was viewed the same as if, I don't know, when Jimmy Johnson was at the Dolphins, if a college team would have poached him, for instance. I mean, it was just, hey, we're getting Steve Spurrier back, maybe. So he lands at Alabama, and then everything changes, folks. Yesterday, Nick Saban retired. And I believe that's what it is. This isn't like, in 1978, my sister, I had sister seven years older than me, and she was a junior in high school. Somehow my parents allowed this, I don't know, a long time ago. She went to New Orleans to see the Rolling Stones' farewell tour. Heath, have you ever seen the Stones in concert? 
couple of times. Post-1978? I believe that is correct, yes. So retirement, eh. I don't know, like the Beatles and Barry Sanders. They're, they're like the two. Nick Saban's going to stay retired. He's like, you don't start a new career, at least from coaching. He'll do some TV and some commercials and such. But for the first time since 1969, we can be pretty certain that Nick Saban will no longer be part of college football. And he is on just about every short list, good, possible, great, possible list that exists. Every one you can come up with. And when I say with his announcement yesterday that it put his name on another very short list, this is even shorter because I'm just talking about the short list on-field results. Like, round up all the coaches at the very top of the all-time winningest college football coaches. Round up just the guys in the top 5, 10, 20. Just from those guys, folks, there's a short list that we never even imagined. Yesterday, it ended for Nick Saban with his program near the top of its game and scandal-free. It is extremely rare for an all-time great college football head coach to end his career with the program near the top of its game and scandal-free. Now, when Hayden Fry left, Iowa was near the top of its game. Its game ain't like the game in Tuscaloosa. When I say Nick Saban left with that program near the top of its game, all right, that's a little different. And scandal-free. Rattle around in your gray matter how, it quote, it ended for other all-time great college football coaches. Bear Bryant, you know what I'll say? Kind of like this. Now, the team had fallen a bit more in his final season to the Liberty Bowl, and it wasn't like the Liberty Bowl when they played UCLA there after the 76 season. I think they were number six in America. That, what, the bowl thing had changed, and Bear, and that team wasn't as good. So the very final season, Alabama was sort of an above-average squad that played really hard and beat Jack Trudeau in Illinois in the Liberty Bowl. Bear didn't even get to wear his Hans Tooth hat that night. It was too cold. So how did it end for other all-time great college football coaches? For Bear Bryant, there's a lot of similarity. He was about four years, three years removed from his most recent national title. Three years, yeah. And had won multiple, multiple, multiple at Alabama. So there's a lot of overlap with Bear Bryant. Now, it didn't include Wild Turkey and Chesterfields with Nick Saban. But for Bear Bryant, as far as near the top of its game and scandal-free, all right, I'll give that to Ghost of Bear Bryant. Bobby Bowden, not really. In fact, do we remember there was a, hey, was it a $5 million, like, you got to get out of town or on the hook? Was it Jimbo was going to either get the head coaching job or they had to write him a check for $5 million? Is that right? It's something along those lines because he was, he had tried to get the West Virginia job and it was just, it was getting clear, hey, time's up. You got to, you got to move here. And, and so Florida State had his contract an addendum put on it. If Bobby Bowden doesn't leave by whatever date they put in, 
Jimbo, we'll write you a check for $5 million because we all kind of expect Bobby to leave by then. Bobby Bowden started making jokes about it. I told Jimbo I'll stay and we'll split the $5 million. Bobby laughed. Jimbo didn't. Not many other people were laughing about it. It ended with Bobby Bowden. I don't know. I've asked this before. The story I got was Tommy Bowden went to Jeff Bowden and said, you need to get dad off the hook. Like Jeff Bowden, should he have been allowed to to call plays in a college football game? No. Jeff Bowden, he was lucky they let him watch football, much less coach football. But he was the coach's son, and he got to keep his job until it, it just got ugly and toxic. Bobby Bowden, it didn't end this way. Joe Paterno, it didn't end this way at all. In fact, you had an all-timer that had been there, I don't know, uh, 40 years almost, who said, who begged, let me just coach three more weeks. And they said, you're out right here, right now. Lou Holtz, folks, there was a brawl on the field so bad that both teams who were bowl eligible said, we're going to go to our rooms and think about what we did. That's am I, Lou Holtz, he was done after that, right, TV? Yes. Steve Spurrier, I'll say, it ended kind of not great at two places. And I'm the biggest Steve Spurrier fan in this town. At Florida, I will say, when I won a Heisman Trophy for you as a player in the national championship, as a, when I was a player at Florida, I was the best player. When I was the coach at Florida, I was the best coach. And Spurrier became unenchanted was the word. I don't know. Was that thing about 10 wins? Was that quote a real quote? Guess 10 wins just ain't good enough anymore. Was that a real thing? Oh, no. He, he alluded to the idea that it had gotten to the point where basically anything short of winning everything was not really much fun anymore. Folks, that's to me at a place where I did all of this. Yeah, that's not so great. And then at South Carolina, speaking of right here, right now. I don't know. They had like three or four games left. And, he, and by the way, I think this was the right choice. And he verbalized it. He said, when I took the job, I was the best coach for, I was the best choice. He says, I'm not the best choice for the job right now. It was a true thing to his philosophy, Chuck. I mean, he was a guy who literally benched people who were Heisman Trophy candidates in the middle of their season because he said somebody else could do the job better. And he believed at that point, he said he, the, the last game he won was UCF. He coached one more game after UCF. But he said he looked at himself in the mirror at halftime of the UCF game and said, I can't do this anymore. So he benched a, himself. A walked away. So check the box, man. He gets a point for being bigger than himself. I will be bigger than me. I will be big for the university and the whatever. That's not great that it got to that point. God bless him for doing it because there's been a lot of people just stayed on for the cash grab. You know what? Spurrier did that in the NFL too. He had two more years of Daniel Schneider's money guaranteed. Three more years. I believe that call, he got G'd up. He got guaranteed money. And he was like, no, this ain't working. It ended not great at two places. Woody Hayes punched a Clemson player. Do I need to have you ever thought about how it ended for virtually every one of the coaching Frank Beamer, who is a reason that Virginia Tech was Virginia Tech. Hey, why don't you leave? That's what Virginia Tech folks were thinking about Frank Beamer. I will have to admit, I can't tell you anything about the mood around the program at College of the Pacific 
when Amos Alonso Stagg wrapped up his coaching career in 1946. Otherwise, the way Saban walked out, this is way, way unusual, folks. And we don't even, we don't, we think every time, all-time great just goes off and the sun sets and then we honor him. Paterno, quote, retired as the state of Pennsylvania and the federal BI was readying an investigation. Nick Saban left, and the only reaction has been a party in Baton Rouge, throw down in Auburn, a little bit of a smile in Austin. He did the impossible, folks. He made Bear Bryant second best at Bama. Not at Kentucky, where, by the way, I think Bear Bryant still may be the best coach. He was there eight years at Kentucky and never had a losing record and won a national championship that they do claim. So I'll claim it as well. If you told me, though, that someone had passed Bear as greatest coach at Kentucky, I was like, uh, okay, I guess. Uh, How'd he do it? I would have outright rejected any notion of this until Saban hit about year four or five in Tuscaloosa. And, folks, he went past him. It's just it's one of the things that I just never thought would be even discussed. So Nick Saban has retired, and we are all less now. Whoever we root for, we are all less as a college football environment. Um, so I'm going to miss the man. It's always very, very good to us. All right, we're going to take a break. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show rolls along on this Thursday. Nick Saban has retired. Alabama will set about the business that... I promise you, the AD, I mean, he always has had the list. It's the kind of job where you just kind of turn your phone on. And this is how huge this story is. It was already written. Every major media outlet, you already had like 90% of this story written, I don't know, five years ago. And you had to just go in and update it. So it's just, it's it's seismic. I want to welcome on right now, USA Today, it's AJ Spur. How you doing, brother? Hey, Chuck, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, kind of somber under these circumstances, but always happy to uh, to join you in the show. Yeah, I appreciate some time. I mean, obviously a lot going on around Tuscaloosa. Uh, tell me your personal timeline, because I, I have been told, and I don't know what's spot on yet, but I was told that yesterday at 2 p.m. local time, he was still 50-50, and that there were some behind-the-scenes details about folks who were necessarily questioning him, like, I was told Bo Davis, he pursued him, and Bo Davis is like, I can't move. I don't know how long you'll be there. Um, and that he just decided in the moment, he was like, yeah, I've had a lot of thinking, and it, the answer is yes. Tell me, tell me your understanding of how this unfolded. Well, I, too, have seen those reports that he was interviewing potential candidates for uh, assistant positions for the program for the upcoming season. Uh, now, what I've heard from those inside the meeting was that he cited age, you know, health conditions, not necessarily anything worrisome, just, you know, things that typically come with aging. Dude, 72. Um, yeah, exactly. At this point, Chuck, in his career, I think 
Miss Terry at some point could have been in the past few months. It might have been a couple of years ago. Everyone knew it was going to come down to whether or not Miss Terry, you know, wanted him to keep going, wanted him to stop. I think she gave him the green light to go ahead and call it whenever he felt like it. And I think late yesterday afternoon, he felt like it. I think he walked in yesterday morning probably feeling like, you know, unsure whether or not the upcoming season was, you know, in his cards, but still wanted to go about his daily business. And then somewhere along the line just figured, you know what, let's go ahead and cut it short here, give the team the rest of the offseason to figure out what's going on. They're going to have a coach. They report they're saying 72 hours. So just get get it out of the way early. So what is the next move and when? Well, reports are saying 72 hours. I would be shocked if they don't have a candidate, a, a hand-picked hire already that just has yet to agree to terms. I mean, it, it's hard to believe that after over a decade and a half of Nick Saban, he himself and this program wouldn't have somebody already picked out and lined up for this position moving forward. Obviously, there are a lot of moving parts. Other coaches, they have buyouts, they have contracts that constantly change. So there's a lot to consider before they can announce a hire, before anything can become official. But I do not see this being an issue that lasts a week, months, late into the offseason. This is going to be something where answers will be had very soon, not just for the sake of fans, but because now a 30-day window has officially opened for the transfer portal for all current players who decided not to transfer uh, five days after Alabama lost lost to Michigan in the Rose Bowl, um, they they can all enter the portal. So having answers fast for this team is imperative in order to keep the, you know, top-tier signing class that they had for 2024 intact, as well as the key contributors that are returning from 2023. Wrapping up, A.J. Spur, USA Today, so let's talk uh, who it may be. Uh, there are names that we all know, Dan Lanning, Steve Sarkeesian, Lane, um, every one of them. I mean, there are a lot of reasons that they make sense, every name we can come up with. There are also reasons why they may choose to stay where they are. Tell me what A.J. Spur thinks, if you had to handicap this. Oh, if I had to pick, I really do think Dan Lanning is is the easy choice here for Alabama. He's been with the program. He's been with other successful programs. He's had success in his own right as a head coach of a program. Personally, my favorite would be Steve Sarkeesian. He's the only other coach to lead Alabama out of the tunnel since 2006, and he walked away with a win in that one game. However, like I said, there are moving parts. You know ADs across the country yesterday had their head coaches locked into their office, uh, maybe trying to work around Uh, some contract details, extensions, whatnot. Uh, So really, I do think it it just comes down to Dan Lanning, maybe a few others that you can sprinkle in there. However, some people that have been talked about often, Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, I don't see those as viable options, nor do I see Mike Norvell or Dabo Sweeney being poached from their respective ACC programs to uh, head over to Tuscaloosa. Last thing for you, um, what do you think, Nick Saban, I mean, he's not just going off to live in a cave somewhere. What do you think will be his resurfacing? Is it going to be media? Is it going to be a traditional Saturday studio thing? Um, what what happens next with him? Well, as bad as Alabama fans would absolutely love to have Nick Saban at the Malmore Athletic Facility in some sort of administrative role, 
I think Saban loves to be in front of the camera. We've seen it in times where Alabama's season has come to an end a little bit early. He'll, he'll join yeah, the ESPN yeah. panel. He'll sit at the desk. There are rumors that he could replace Lee Corso on college game day, which knowing Nick Saban's sense of humor, uh, the kind of energy that he brings, I really do think that would be a great addition for college game day. And as a lot of people haven't been fans of it this past season, that could be just what they need to revive that program and, and give it a little bit of spice for the 2024 season. Yeah, you don't often, often talk about a 71, 72-year-old and talk about the energy he'd bring, but I've heard, <laughs> like, in basketball games, somehow his knees still defy time, like, um, that he's just tough out there. So, uh, all right, AJ, I appreciate you as always, brother. Thank you. Chuck, thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to joining you sometime soon. Yes, sir. AJ Spur, USA Today. So, where do they go next? Uh, it will be, quote, an obvious name. The search firm, the search firm has to do more than just generate names because I can generate in almost every case, the exact same names. I guess the search firm, do they go ahead and take care of the, like, all right, we're going to do the background check in case Oregon didn't find something and Kirby didn't find something and we didn't find something when he was here, we're going to do a background check. We're going to hire, who is it? Parker, somebody to uh, the search firm to do the background check on Dan Lanning. Yeah. Parker executive search. Oh, there you go. Parker. Uh, what, what do you need? Uh, CEO, uh, director of marketing. I need a head coach. Oh, okay. Well, we'll do a background check. Dan, would you fill this cup? Um, it's going to be whoever does get named within the next 48 hours. It will be a giant big name. Won't be as obviously accomplished as Nick Saban. But it will come from a list of obvious names. But everyone you can come up with, there is an asterisk that kind of makes you look at it and go, yeah, but he may want to stay. Nothing against the Alabama job or where it is right now. Like Steve Sarkeesian, he just got, and Bama's a better job, he just got Texas where he wants Texas. He just did all the work. Dan Lanning? Dan Lanning told everybody related to other jobs. He was like, no, I'm really comfortable. But now the Bama job's not other jobs. Dan Lanning, same thing. I think he's there at Oregon. Lane Kiffin, same thing. Think he's there at Oxford. to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Who Alabama hires? It will be the most impactful college football coaching decision in the last 10 years. 20 years. Because we didn't know when Saban left the Dolphins. We knew he was a stud. We thought he was a hired gun, though. Cash grab, took the money. How long will he stay? Like that, when that's the only like throwback you have at your rival. Well, enjoy. How long will he stay? Oh, a while. Biggest story going in college football, and uh, Alabama says they will have a hire within, I guess, forty-eight hours from now. Not nothing across state in Lee County. I want to welcome on right now, Auburn Undercover. It's two four seven thing. Nathan King, welcome back, friend. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I imagine yesterday was pretty busy for y'all. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, tumors get rolled. I heard. Apparently, I, I thought that uh, I thought it might have been a leftover a little bit from the basketball game, but I was told that wasn't the case. So yeah, yeah that was the first day. Of, 
first day of class for Auburn students. So after class, I imagine some people rolled out, went, went over there and uh, decided to have some fun. All right. So let's talk about, um, I mean, Hugh Freeze, he's savvy. He knows what's what, and he's got everybody's phone number. When he took the Auburn job, maybe Brian Harson was thinking it. Maybe Gus was looking around going, dang, was he going to leave? Like part of his attraction to Auburn was the facilities, the money, the recruiting, all this other stuff. Part of it was... Dude, cross state 71. He can't stay forever. Um, tell me about Hugh Freeze and how his his day-to-day just changed. Yeah, I mean, you guys were talking about it in the open, and this is obviously shockwaves across the college football world. But, you know, as, as, as monumentally successful as Nick Saban has been, no one has felt it more than Auburn. I mean, they're, they've been in the unique position over the better part of the last two decades of – um, being, like you said, just right down the road from the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport. Um, and so, you know, today is a very different feeling day. We're waking up and Nick Saban not being the head coach at Alabama. There is a sizable void, you know, not only in the SEC, but in the entire sport. Hugh Freeze isn't alone. He's, you know, there are 14 other SEC coaches out there licking their chops right now thinking, hey, we have an opportunity to attack this, uh, this window and, you know, kind of move up. I'm not saying that anybody is going to step in and be the next Alabama. I'm also not saying Alabama's going anywhere. You know, they're recruiting wise, they're probably not going to go anywhere. And, you know, it's about to be a 12 team playoff. So postseason wise, they probably are not going anywhere anytime soon, but it's an impossible job to follow up Nick Saban and keep that same level of consistency. Um, and so in terms of you freeze, what he can control right now um, is trying to bridge that talent gap. That's the phrase he always talks about with, uh, with the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world, you are never going to stack talent like Alabama did under Nick Saban. No one's going to do that except Georgia. Um, but Auburn hasn't needed that talent to compete with Alabama and win sometimes in that series. Um, so it, it, it started yesterday with the domino effect of a five-star receiver, Ryan Williams, decommitting from yeah. Alabama um, about an hour after uh, Nick Saban decided to retire. I imagine there was nobody else you freeze wanted to call more. Um, and uh, then Ryan Williams immediately after Saban retired. And so, you know, Auburn can just kind of control what it can control this offseason, try to remain stable um, because, you know, the the answer to the question from now until the end of time when, you know, an, an Auburn fan asks you in 50 years, so who was the who was the Auburn coach again when, when Saban finally retired? The answer is going to be Hugh Freeze. And, and, you know, what he ends up doing with that and where the program goes from here is obviously going to be uh, certainly going to be something to watch. Okay, so you already covered the Ryan Williams thing, and he's the reclassified kid who is a five-star stud who's yet to name his school. So that's uh, still in the process. Let's talk about coaching. Um, Keep it on Auburn now and what Hugh Freeze is doing because he's going to hire an OC, which I said, or whatever he names the guy, Hugh Freeze is going to be running the offense. He's going to add an offensive assistant. Uh, Ron Roberts, that's official he's gone now as well um what's he freeze who's he gonna bring in yeah i mean i think you have an opportunity here like you said because Hugh freeze is expected to uh to take over the offense in a play calling role you have you have an opportunity here for some co-coordinator labels i think even on the defensive side of the ball um on offense like you mentioned it, it doesn't really matter in terms of bringing in a bona fide offensive coordinator he doesn't have to do that at the moment i would be surprised if ken austin is not elevated to the role of quarterbacks coach because now obviously they're looking for a quarterbacks coach um he basically was in an assistant qb coach position with the new analyst rule of everything they can do at practice he's a guy who's been with you freeze 
for a long time. Um, you know, Derek Nix is the other name that's been floated out there. He's obviously a guy. He's been at Ole Miss forever. He was on all five of Hugh Freeze's staffs at Ole Miss, a guy that could maybe come in with a co-OC label. You, you just have to see if there's any more staff shakeup, what kind of openings there are to be able to get to that 10-man assistant staff. Now, on the other side of the ball, on defense, of course, you need a defensive play caller. Um, you need a true D.C. to come in here. You know, Charles Kelly is a name that, look, he's already on yeah. Auburn's staff. He's already there. Um, he you know, it hasn't been officially announced yet, but he is already on staff. And so um, it will be interesting to see what they do with him. I, I for one, would be surprised if he is given the role of a full-time you know, play caller on defense this upcoming season. I just don't think that's the role they envision for him. Now he might have some, some sort of a co-defensive coordinator label. A couple names that we've heard early on, I'm not saying this is the comprehensive list, but Zach Arnett, who's obviously looking yeah. for a job. Yep. Um, from Mississippi State, you know, he he reminds me a lot of Derek Mason a couple of years ago when Mason was fired at Vanderbilt, but he was sitting around and everybody in the SEC knew this is a this is a really sharp defensive mind and a guy with a lot of SEC experience. And so Arnett obviously checks a lot of those boxes. Another name as well uh, is Chris Hampton from uh, from Oregon, currently the co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach at Oregon. He was the defensive coordinator at Tulane the past couple seasons when they really made their rise up. In the uh, in the group of five ranks, and if you talk to anybody in college football, um, you know who who knows anything about Chris Hampton. Um, you know they think that it's just a matter of time before he's a he's a coordinator at a major program. Really, a guy who is um, very well thought of, and so I think Hugh Freeze has some options here. You know he doesn't have to. You know Zach Arnett would kind of be one where it's like okay, completely hands off, right? Like he's 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 got it rolling. He knows what he's doing. Um, or you know a younger guy like Hampton, I think. You know, like I said, if you've got Charles Kelly with a co-defensive coordinator label, maybe Josh Aldridge, the linebackers coach, who was a D.C. for freeze at Liberty, maybe he could get a co-coordinator label and kind of help out a guy like Hampton. I just think he's got a lot of options right now in terms of what he wants to do. But at the end of the day, you know, there's there's decent shoes to fill. You know, Ron Roberts, you know, there were some frustrations, I think, um, within that building. I think there was some friction with him. But at the end of the day, Auburn's defense was pretty good, especially considering the talent they had. Um, he was able to utilize his players really well, and that defense is the reason they almost beat Alabama and Georgia this season. So uh, it's 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 pretty big shoes to fill, honestly, um, because Ron Roberts, I think, may have been the best coach on that staff last year in terms of assistance, uh, you know, in terms of what he yep. did ex- yep. executing with his players last year. Wrapping up, Nathan King, Auburn Undercover, our truest reporter for Auburn. Um, there's some unusual, n- little unusual news coming out of Auburn. Uh, Keontae Scott, uh, I guess, I'm not leaving after all. Uh, but T, no, nah, I'm not going to leave after all. Jason Jones announced he's just coming back, I guess. Um, this is way different than, like, the Hoosiers line out of Auburn after the end of the Harson thing and each season. Uh, they've actually had some kids apparently say, Portal, no, I'm going to stay. That's interesting. Yeah, and they needed that. Um, Keontae Scott was the one. I mean, oh, my goodness, that would have been – that just would have been dreadful. You would have lost all five of your secondary starters. That's already a room that's going to be um, really new next year. It's obviously going to be under new management. Um, at least in part, you've still got Zach Etheridge there, but Charles Kelly is coming in. He's obviously, he is a secondary coach. We'll see what kind of role in particular that he has, but um, man, Keontae Scott is such a leader for that group. And he plays that really important nickel position. And uh, he, you know, we, we reported on our site that he actually did enter the transfer portal. Um, but what happened was he was within the 48 hour period that uh, hadn't processed yet. And that's why his name never appeared. And, he decided to pull out, and obviously Auburn made that a, a really big priority. Brian Batie was really interesting 
because I don't his role his role is not going to be huge within this offense. Um, he didn't have a carry in Auburn's last three games of the season. Uh, you know, Jeremiah Cobb, the the true freshman, is going to be a sophomore next year. Supplanted him for that number three running back spot. I mean, I he's the fourth best running back on the team. He's a pretty good player, but I, they've just they've got you know Jarquez Hunter and Demari Alston and. Jeremiah Cobb are all really good players, and so that that role is interesting that for him to be able to come back to Auburn. We'll see. Obviously, he could have a decision to make after the spring as well. He could enter after the the spring portal, and then the news this morning that, that Justin Rogers yep, is NFL for the NFL draft. That's I mean that's two starting defensive linemen. Um, so that's those are the two areas next year really on the entire team. Obviously, quarterback has a big microscope, you know, and I think they'll continue to um, keep their eyes open in the portal, but. Defensive line and secondary, which those are those are a couple important position groups. They're going to be really inexperienced next year, and uh, they're going to be working with a lot of guys who haven't done that much at Auburn, really, besides a guy like Keontae Scott and a guy like a Jalen McLeod at pass rusher. And so um, it'll be interesting to see what they continue to do in the portal there. They're going to need some good coaching and some good development because, like I said, their defense – their defense is pretty solid, and they're going to have to make sure if they want to win you know, more than six games next year, they don't take a step back on defense. Yeah, Marcus Harris leaving as well. Uh, just your either understanding or what you think you've observed, how comfortable did Hugh Freeze get with Peyton Thorne by the absolute very end of the season? Like, how much blue sky does he think is there for 2024? Because he got better at the end. I would agree. Um, there were still – it was funny to me that and, you know, from an Auburn you know, fan perspective and obviously from the coaching staff, they, you know, they, they did a heel turn, right, from, oh, we're comfortable with this quarterback room and, uh, you know, we're just going to roll in the next year to instantly looking in the portal and, and, and that, that plan kind of changing. It's funny that so much of that changed after the bowl game because, I mean, as, as you guys know from, from watching Auburn this season, um, you know, it wasn't pretty in the bowl game, but – they had looked like that a lot of other times this season. It's not like that came out of the blue. It's not like that was a suddenly oh, you know, no. passing performance. They they've been they've been bad throwing the football for most of the season, and so. Um, but if, I, I guess that had just sort of been the last straw, and so now Freeze is keeping his eyes open in the transfer portal. Look, as it relates to Peyton Thorne, like like even when Auburn was poking around with a guy like Caden Salter um, from Liberty. I wasn't convinced. Now, if I had to put money on it, absolutely, I'd say if Salter would have come here, he would have been the starter. But what you've said about Thorne, what Freeze has said about Thorne, you know, what you what you sort of see in terms of an optimistic outlook that he can have the whole offseason of work, that he can you know have a second year in Freeze's system, another year working with Ken Austin, better receivers, maybe a better offensive line, the same running backs, like all that still exists for you to say, yeah, he can get better next year. And he's also a really veteran guy who can continue to kind of work on those things. And so, I'm, you know, it'd be foolish for any Auburn fan to just say that there's no room for improvement because these are young student athletes and college football players are allowed to improve. Um, I think the thing with Peyton Thorne is he's done it for so long. It's not like when Bo Nix was here and he, when he was really young and you could kind of look to the future and say, you know, he's, he's probably going to improve. He's just a freshman. He's just a sophomore. Um, Peyton Thorne's going to be a six-year senior. And so, all of that is to say that I think they're going to continue to look in the transfer portal. Um, it, it might be something where if they don't get somebody here within the next little bit, then they might not go for a post-spring guy because Peyton Thorne was a post-spring guy, and he didn't have a lot of time in the offense, and that was something that Freeze talked about a lot. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, it is such an important position group, right? And it's the reason that we keep coming back and talking about it. You can do all this recruiting, and you can do all these coaching hires and all this stuff. But if you don't have high-level quarterback play, it's hard to win in the SEC. Like it's just it, that's just how it is. And so, 
um, you know, if, if they don't end up getting anybody or they don't want to get anybody else that they see is a, is a fit in the portal, it's certainly going to be a lot of pressure on Peyton Thorne's shoulders to improve this offseason. Yeah, they beat Cal, and even that night I was like, this offense is painful. Um, and not everybody can beat Nick Marshall. I guess you're right. Show up and, you know, two days later, you're the starter and it's going to be great. So appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much, Nathan. Yes, sir. Appreciate y'all. All right, Nathan King, 247. Nick Marshall, he didn't he wasn't there for spring, showed up for fall camp, and Gus Malzahn's like when he was still had pace going, and I mean rolling it. Nick Marshall's like, I got this. My goodness, how unusual was that? They went out to Cal Berkeley week two or three and beat a that night I looked at Cal, I was like, man, this is gruesome on both sides of the ball, uh, offensively for both teams. Um but I thought Cal was kind of tough. And Auburn knocked their stud running back out of the game that night as well. Another real tough kid. Uh, but they were able to kind of gut it out, and they won against a quality opponent. The offense was bad. And, again, that's in a game that they won. Uh, what I had mentioned there was, at least at the end of the season, there he got better. Peyton Thorne didn't necessarily get good or certainly great. He got better than he had been. And the offense had maybe more of an option. But it never really looked like he was a guy who started in the Big Ten for two years. Put up like 7,000 yards passing. My goodness. All right, we will break, come back, wrap up hour one next. The king of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Download it now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Alabama's still going to be great. They're going to hire a great head coach. They're still going to be expected to win the national championship. It's almost like Ohio State losing Urban Meyer. You know, you can you you can keep this going to a certain extent, but yeah, they're going to be more a little more vulnerable now. They're a little more beatable, and you lose that aura. That's real. Now, it can be pierced, but for an opponent, for an off season, and I'll say in particular for the Auburn head coach, because this is something that I got I saw firsthand with Gus. The, when he talks about you're going to be missing the aura, specifically, I'll start inside the yellow hammer state. It's a bird. The daily, I mean, 365, folks. The daily psychological beatdown that the Auburn coach has to navigate and survive and overcome, it's his job. It's there. And I mean, because even if you're the Auburn head coach and you're making whatever you're making, it doesn't matter if you go back to Shug or Barfield or whomever. Bowden, today, Hugh Freeze. At some point, do you know what you have to do, even if you're the super famous and really important, especially around there, Auburn head football coach? You still have to get gas in your car sometimes. You still go to Waffle House or Walmart or do whatever you do. You see people at church. 
And if you pull into the parking lot, I don't know, somewhere around the Auburn campus on a Sunday morning and you look and like 51% of the bumper stickers or window stick or whatever are uh, Alabama, you're like, what am I fighting against here? Tuberville, I don't know. There's a chance that when he showed up, he was confident enough that, and boy, did he have some good timing and some really good teams and recruiting. and everything. I don't know that he ever really suffered from it or else he deflected it pretty well, beat him six times in a row, and then he got fired. But after that, folks, it was every day of the year, the, the psychological pinata that you realize no matter what you do, even in the national championship year, it's always there, man. Bama, 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 and then come kill the trees. Um, I can tell you one pretty certain no Alabama will get, and I think it's likely best for both parties. Dan Lanning, talked about him earlier, do not expect him to be the next Alabama coach. Now, I don't know if Dan Lanning will get the next offer to be Alabama coach, but me personally, myself, yesterday, my initial reaction was great for every one of the 1,500 reasons we all know being Alabama head coach. It's great. That job's a bit much for almost everyone, and that included Dan Lanning in my estimation. Now, that was me yesterday. My understanding this morning is Dan Lanning staying in Oregon is the opinion in Eugene as well. Not because the job is beyond him. That's me. Um, just a little as of January 2024. That's what I believe. But but that's not it. The reasoning is Dan Lanning, apparently, that he's like, no, nah, I ain't leaving, and that he is having those conversations with others. Uh, could be true. Hey, how's your Thursday? Yeah, I, I would just say for, for anybody, obviously, there's the reminder that the way that Saban wound up in this job in the first place, he turned him down. Spurrier turned him down and told Mal Moore flat out, hey, you, you need to figure out a way to get Saban. Uh, but if Rich Rodriguez shows up for the party the way he's supposed to, then then none of this ever happens, and who knows? Uh, Jim maybe. Grove, maybe if he answered the phone. Yeah, maybe maybe Rich Rodriguez is a coaching legend. Hey, Rich Rodriguez is still in the state of Alabama, Jacksonville State. If they want to, that's accurate. They want to go with the alternative path. How might it have gone? Go go grab Rich Rod from Jack State. Uh, I was just looking at the list of the twenty-two coaches that beat Nick Saban at Alabama, Chuck. And I'm not going to ask you. We don't have time, and I'm not going to ask you to to name all twenty-two of them. But if you go down the list, yeah, it's it's a roll call of of some of the very best of the last 20 years, obviously. The only ones who beat him three times were Malzahn and Miles. Dabo, Urban, Hugh Freeze got him twice. Everybody else, single time. But there's one name that you see on the list every time that you say, wow, that's right. Charlie Weatherby. Charlie Weatherby. Louisiana Monroe. Louisiana Monroe head coach back in 2007. I mean, literally, you've got this. There's a roll call of Hall of Fame. We have Rick and Bobby Bowden and, uh, you know, Spurrier and Chiswick. And, uh, well, okay, maybe not everybody's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Kevin Sumlin, Bob Stoops, Jimbo Fisher, all these names. And then right there, you got the two names that will jump out of you. Sylvester Croom and Charlie Weatherby. If you were going to get him, get him early. And Charlie Weatherby, as much as anybody, certainly uh, took advantage of that. Uh, the... The reaction after that one. You remember, Chuck, he compared that to 9-11. And alcoholism and Pearl Harbor. Yeah, Nick Saban is a a fairly level-headed guy I think we've all seen. And he literally compared the loss to Louisiana Monroe to 9-11. That is how bad that particular loss got in his cross. So it is just amazing, though, to look at this list and realize that 
in general, if you were going to be tall enough to ride this ride, man, you had to be somebody who had every aspect to be able, not 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 just players, you had to be a pretty darn good game coach to do it too. Uh, he just didn't have the kind of losses that most dudes do. No, and the last full-time coach there, Mike Shula, as I recall it in the fourth quarter of the Iron Bowl, Shula tried to call four timeouts just in the fourth quarter. There's a appreciate Rodriguez something, and they lost, and he got canned. But that is where you were. Nicest guy in the world. What was the Bama job? My opinion, what was the Bama job for Mike Shula? I think it was a little much for him.